Well, good morning, and uh, thank you for having me back again to speak. And this morning, we're going to speak about money, making it and losing it. And as I was preparing for this, I read a little story that I thought might be appropriate about a young boy who was praying very fervently for $100. He wanted $100 so he could buy something, a special game, video game. And uh, prayed for two weeks and nothing happened. So he thought, well, I'll write a letter to God. So he wrote a letter. Dear Lord, USA, please send me $100. Well, the Postal Service got that letter, and they were pretty amused by it. They thought, well, let's just send this to President Obama. So they did. Obama got it and read it, and he was really tickled and amused and impressed. So he told his secretary to send this kid five bucks, because a little kid would think five dollars is a lot of money. Well, the boy received the five dollars, and he was overjoyed. He was very thankful. He said, well, I'm going to write a thank you letter to God. So again, God, USA, and he says, thank you so much for sending me the money. But I noticed that you sent it through Washington, and as you might expect, they made a $95 deduction. <laughs> the uh, money is a, a big issue in life. It's something that we all need, we all work hard for, and uh, use in various ways. But I think that uh, God has sold, told us some very specific things about money, and I called this making it and losing it, Proverbs on money. and. Uh, I hope it might be a good reflection of what God has said. Now, I have purposely left this as a black and white overhead because I think this is one of the things in Scripture that's perfectly clear. I don't think there's any controversy about it. I don't think there's any challenges about the truths that God has shared with us about this. So I think it's a black and white issue. So it's a black and white background. The message summary on the next slide is pretty simple. To be truly righteous work, don't cheat, and trust God. Now, obviously, work and don't cheat include a lot of, of information, but that's the message. To be truly prosperous, work, don't cheat, and trust God. The next slide gives us what Jesus said, or the way Jesus said it. Jesus said it, seek first his, that would be God's kingdom, and God's righteousness, and all life necessities will be added unto you. That's one of two New Testament references we'll use in this uh, message this morning. But Jesus Christ had the right perspective, the same perspective that the, uh, Solomon, the author of Proverbs, had as uh, he tells us to work, don't cheat, and trust God. Now, the next slide gives credit where credit's due. This is Trey's series. He did a huge amount of research and sent it to me. So, Trey, thank you. Saved me a lot of work. Part of that research was this guy, Bob Deffenbaugh, who uh, wrote a very good article on it. I used a lot of his information as well, so uh, not as much as you might think of this as actually mine. I, I, uh, I didn't want to plagiarize, though. Okay, the next slide gives us a preview of what God is going to tell us in Proverbs in its totality, but most definitely as it applies to finances. So let me read Proverbs 1, 1 through 7. By the way, all of this scripture for this whole message will be up on the board. See, it's going to be uh, easier to just read the board than chase around following all the references. And I think there's notes available. Uh, if not, uh, Trey's going to email all of these to all of you. Do you have everybody's email address? Okay. Well, let's read Proverbs 1, 1 through 7. 
The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, for attaining wisdom and discipline, for understanding words of insight, for acquiring a disciplined and prudent life, doing what is right and just and fair, for giving prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the young. Let the wise listen and add to their learning. Let the discerning get guidance for understanding proverbs and parables, the sayings and riddles of the wise. Something that I want to take a moment to reflect on here. The Proverbs of Solomon, you may remember the story, but uh, Solomon asked the Lord specifically for wisdom to lead Israel. And God blessed him specifically with wisdom beyond any other man alive or since. So this is written by a man that can make an honest claim to being the smartest man in history, God-given wisdom. And as he is sharing this with us, that means that it would be wise on our part to use it as he says it's intended to be used for attaining wisdom and discipline, for acquiring a disciplined and prudent life. And since none of us want to identify with the simple, we should be wise and listen to the learning and to grow in our own personal understanding of truth, particularly about finances. The next slide gives us actually the bottom line of all of Scripture, and that is that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Again, this is one of those black and white issues. What camp are you in? Are you a fool? Despising, in other words, ignoring, not obeying, doing whatever you feel like in spite of what God says. Or are you fearing the Lord, which means obeying and trusting and doing what God says? I know I asked myself that question as I was preparing this because it was a very convicting message to research, quite frankly. And uh, God's wisdom is what Solomon has shared with us. And the first aspect I'd like to look at on the next slide would be what I've called perspective. I'm going to try and run peas throughout this thing, so uh, bear with me. Perspective, how to look at it. How do you approach money? What's the meta-narrative, the overview? Well, I think the Proverbs 16.11 tells us that a just balance and scales belong to the Lord, and all of the weights of the bag are his concern. It's obviously addressing a time when they poured out grain into a container and weighed it and sold it like that. It's not the way we do it now. We buy five pounds of sugar or whatever it might be. But at one point when this was written, the details of the weight were important to God. I think this this describes much more than just a fact of life about making a right weight. I think it describes the fact that God is concerned with the details of our lives, of our business lives specifically. If you're a merchant or you're uh, selling something, You've got to be honest. God's concerned with that. He's concerned with the weights in the bag, whether you're getting four and three-quarter pounds a week or five pounds a week when you buy five pounds. That's important to understand that. The second one, 22, do not rob the poor because he's poor or crush the afflicted at the gate, for the Lord will plead their case and take the life of those who rob them. Now, you know, I haven't seen anybody drop dead lately when they bought a, a used car that turned out to be a lemon. But I think, again, what this reflects is the fact that God is, in, is concerned with the details of our lives, with the interactions we have business-wise, with the finances and the way we use them. So I think this is more than just the specifics of the verses, but it, it expresses a concern God has for our lives. The next slide gives us four points that 
I think, are reflections of the way we do business or the way we can look at doing business. Ill-gotten gains do not profit, but righteousness delivers from death. He who profits illicitly troubles his own house, but he who sows righteousness gets a true reward. Bread obtained by falsehood is sweet to a man, but afterward his mouth will be filled with gravel. The getting of treasures by a lying tongue is a fleeting vapor in the pursuit of death. I don't know what that brings to your thinking as you read these statements from God to us about how to approach money or to acquire money, but this is a perspective on income. One of the shops I worked in years ago uh, had a, an office manager that would deliver the body work that we out in the shop did. I ran the shop, he ran the, ran the, the business office. We called this guy Golden Lips because he could sell ice cubes to Eskimos. He, he was a, a sweet, nice, completely dishonest con man. And, you know, you'd want him to be your neighbor, really. He, he, he was a nice guy, but he, you couldn't trust him to, you know, to tell you the right time of day. And he did. He sold everything we delivered. That's, I think, what the Proverbs are describing is the wrong way. That's ill-gotten gain. And the shop made a lot of money. Uh, I don't know if you folks know it or not, but, and I'm going to use a lot of automotive illustrations since that's been my world for 50 years or so. Uh, service managers at dealerships are there specifically to convince you that what you're paying for was necessary to be done when you have your car repaired. Most everybody buys into that. You go to a big dealership, you're going to get a good job. Trust me, that's not real. I know personally mechanics and body men that have worked at big dealerships. And that service manager is just going to cover all the mistakes that they made and tell you your car needed that to be done. So you really have to have some good reason to go to a mechanic or a body man and get quality work. But I think that's what these verses are describing. There's a right way and a wrong way to make money. You don't want to be golden lips to make your money because you're going to pay, you'll pay for it ultimately. The next slide is kind of a summary of this perspective section. God is very aware and concerned about each of our personal financial situations. Again, a reflection of the details about the weights in a bag, about uh, taking advantage of the poor. God knows what we have, what we don't have, what we need, and what we can work for and achieve. He knows our situation, and he's concerned about us. And we are to be upright and righteous in our pursuit of money. Black and white issue. Work, don't cheat, trust God. It's a simple financial reality. Now, the next slide brings us to the pursuing profit side of things, how to make it. And I think it's very important how you work. I think that it shows up, at least in my world, in trades, about the kind of work that you do. You need to be attentive, careful, thorough, doing, doing it well not just to get by, or not just good enough. There is always good enough, but you want to do it as good as you can do it. One of my uncles used to say, if it's worth doing, it's worth doing right. I think Trey had on the notes he sent to me, his father said that. And that's a very true statement. Another consideration is, is you never have enough time to do it right, but you've always got enough time to do it over. And that's the reality of life. I've run several body shops, worked with lots of body men, delivered a, a van, a relatively new van back at that day in the, in the 80s. Sorry, it's 
it goes back a ways. But delivered a van. It was a relatively new, a couple years old. Customer took it. Came back next day. There was a squeak in there. Okay. Since I was the foreman, I got to find the squeak. Turns out the guy put a panel on a sliding door on a van and never welded it. So the, where he had hammered it over at the edges, it was moving when it go over and squeaked. You know how hard that was to find? That drove me crazy for more than a day. Finally, we took the, the, insul the uh, rubber gasket off and saw that it was actually moving. Then I welded it, repainted it, and put the gasket back on. It's always better to do it right the first time than to have to do it over. In this case, the guy got fired, but, you know, it cost him his job. That's a perspective on it. The next uh, slide is the first aspect of doing or making profit correctly, and I think that's trusting in God. 10.22 says, The blessing of the Lord brings wealth, and he adds no trouble to it. 28.25, A greedy man stirs up dissension, but he who trusts in the Lord will prosper. You know, now this brings up a pretty large theological question that maybe you have asked yourself not realizing how theological and popular that question was. How much human involvement and how much divine involvement is in this whole process of making money? Do I kick back and say, hey, God, I'm trusting you. Provide for me. Or do I actually go out, got to go out and do something, get a job to earn the money, and then God provides to that? I wish I had a concrete scripture to tell you where that would come from. I think that in the New Testament it says several places, he who will not work shall not eat. If you don't provide for your family, you're worse than an infidel. Unfortunately, that's not in Proverbs. I didn't want to go there. But what I think we have here is just a normal balance of human responsibility. You've got to go get a job and make money so you can pay the bills. If there's some special circumstance where you can't, well, then I think that's the responsibility of family and friends and, in some extreme cases, church to fill in the gap and meet the needs of those people. But basically... We are supposed to be diligent, which the next slide will, which brings us to the next slide. We're to be diligent, persevere, hard work, and plan for our living, for our income, for our daily, uh, meet our daily needs financially. 10.4, lazy hands make a man poor, but diligence brings wealth. Dishonest money dwindles away, but he who gathers money little by little makes it grow. I consider that to be perseverance. Uh, my wife is a great example of that. She doesn't make a lot of money at school. school. Primarily, she pays for our health insurance. But she always seems to have some money stashed away when we need it. You know, and she'll, she, she, uh, she's a very wise woman. She, she does a good job persevering little by little, keeping the money there. And uh, all hard work brings a profit. The plans of the diligent lead to profit as surely as haste leads to poverty. You know, there's a lot to be said for planning for your retirement, planning for your daily income if you're pretty far away from retirement. But I would suggest that it's much wiser to plan for it than just have it crash in on you unsuspectingly. Uh, that was one of the more convicting parts of this message for me personally. But diligence, perseverance, hard work, and planning, that's, that's what God tells us is the way to make our living, to pursuing profit. The next slide is another aspect of pursuing profit and gaining wealth, and that's generosity. 
One man gives freely, yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. A generous man will prosper. He who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. I'm not sure if I completely agree with the saying, although I am very aware of it, that you can't outgive God. I think that's true. I think there's got to be some qualifying statements under that that would make that a wise use of money and wise giving. But you can't outgive God is a very good way of, of reflecting the fact that God promises to bless you if you're generous. That part of it is very, very true. The, uh, a generous man will himself be blessed, for he shares his food with the poor. Again, that's an aspect of our church life that might be reflected in our, uh, our benevolence ministries, because that outreach is necessary, it's helpful, and God promises to bless us if we give. And that's also very true personally. And I would suggest that there's probably a lot of very wealthy people in this congregation, because last year when my wife and I were in pretty bad straits from my back surgery and heart attack, there was a lot of generous people that, that bailed us out. They provided for us. Had it not been for you folks, we would have uh, you know, not, not been able to, to continue living here. Thank you very much for your generosity. So I know that's true in many of your lives. And for those of you that have not experienced it, I would encourage you to, to give money away. And I'll put my name on the list. But the next slide is pursuing profit and summary. How do you make money? Trust God. Plan to be diligent, hardworking, and faithful. Be generous. That's, the, that's God's keynote to pursuing profit and being successful at that. Now, something I want you to notice, there's three points in this summary. When we get to the how to lose money and how to be unfaithful or unwise in your stewardship, there's going to be twice that much. There's six points there. So I think God is reflecting our bent toward being wrong. So he cautions us more than he gives us the proper way to do it. So I think that the trust the God, plan to be diligent, hardworking and faithful and being generous, that's the way to do it. Very simple, not complicated, black and white. The next slide starts on this pursuing poverty, how to lose the money. There's a lot of ways to do it. I probably invented a few that Solomon didn't know. The first one, Reflected in Proverbs is laziness. The slugger not only fails to obtain wealth because of his idleness, he also neglects the resources he has. 24, 30 to 31, I passed by the field of the sluggard and by the vineyard of the man lacking sense. And behold, it was completely overgrown with thistles. Its surface was covered with nettles and its stone wall was broken down. Again, this goes way beyond the guy that has a vineyard. It's our perspective on what we have maintaining it, using it to the best of our ability. Verse 23, be sure you know the condition of your flocks. Give careful attention to your herds. It's God's direction that we should know what we've got and take care of it. When I was in Kansas, my body shop was right at the edge of the, the convenience store with the gas station, right at the end of the diesel pump. So I got a front view uh, seat to all the people that hung out at the convenience store. That's what most of the, or not most, but a lot of the cowboys did. One particular guy, his name was Dan. You'll never meet him. He was a regular at this convenience store. He'd stop in and we'd chat and have coffee, and he never seemed to be worried or have much concern about work. He was a rancher, had a, had a rather big ranch, actually. And uh, 
He was just a good old boy, what you might think about as a good old cowboy. Well, it turns out that being as free-willing and unconcerned about his property as he was, he lost it. <laughs> he lost the farm. It went, went belly up. On the other hand, I met another guy, Mike, that never came to the C-plus. He was a guy that I actually restored a 27 Model T touring car for, and he was very diligent. Actually, that was the first time I was introduced to cattlemen that kept all their records on computer. He could tell you how much each one of his cows and steers and all the critters he had ate each day, what the combination of the food was, and he was very successful. He knew the details of his herds, and he was... While I, while I knew him, he bought a brand new uh, John Deere tractor, one of those big four-wheel drive deals, 100,000 plus. Plus, he had a 27 Model T Ford restored. Very comfortable. He was wise. He knew the conditions. And what I'm using that for is illustration between somebody that was not lazy and Dan, who basically was lazy. Nice guy, but bone lazy. Mike, you never saw him at the C+. He was a nice guy, too, but he took real good care of what he had. The next slide tells us another way of pursuing poverty, and that's greed. Strangely enough, it's often the greed that appeals to a con man. Con men pre present a way to get rich quick. They, uh, they want to combine our laziness and our greed and find a quick scheme to make a lot of money quick. And that's not necessarily buying lottery tickets although that could be if it gets way out of hand and out of kilter with your perspective. But the righteousness of the upright will deliver them, 11.6. But the treacherous will be caught by their own greed. A man with an evil eye hastens after wealth and does not know what want, that want will come upon him. Again, to me, it's rather black and white. It's very easy to understand that. Don't be greedy. You know, uh, work hard and be content with what God provides you with. If it sounds too good to be true and somebody presents you with a situation that you just can't fail, chances are it is too good to be true. The next slide is point three of how to lose your money, impetuousness. Have you ever noticed that a seller puts a time limit on things to be sold? You know, Black Friday, come Friday and you'll save a billion dollars. There's a sale from 6 p.m. to midnight. The door-to-door -door salesman tells you, hey, You've got to make this decision right now and buy this $3,000 vacuum cleaner because it's never going to be this cheap again. You know, it's, it's aimed at immediate hasty sales. 21.5 says, The plans of the diligent lead surely to advantage, but everyone who is hasty comes surely to poverty. The thing that always interests me is when you check out at Walmart or some food store, you know, right down the aisles, they got all this really good candy, everything that I like, chocolate and peanut butter and... You know, then they also got all those real tabloid magazines that got all the hot stories about who so-and-so is shacking up with and who got who pregnant and, you know, all this other stuff. How do you lose weight and be beautiful and, you know, all that. Right there where you're standing, you know, it's really enticing. They want you to make that decision while you got your money in your hand. That's the idea. Don't be hasty. The next slide uh, describes wrong associations, or at least one of two slides that will describe wrong associations. And this is interesting in light of our culture today. Now then, my sons, listen to me, and do not depart from the words of my mouth. This is Proverbs 5, 7 to 10. Keep your way far from her, that is the adulterous woman, and do not go near the door of her house, lest you give your vigor to others and your years to the cruel one. Lest strangers be filled with your strength and your hard-earned goods go to the house of the alien. What they called an adulterous woman 
in Solomon's time is basically today what our culture says is acceptable behavior. You know, that promiscuity is a non-issue. You do what you feel like. And the people that I know that are promiscuous, they're divorced, if not at least once, many times. And that divorce, I think, is what demonstrates the reality of this passage. You lose everything you got. You're giving away all of your hard-earned money to the, for the house and the cars and whatever other material possessions you've got. You're giving it to your spouse, male or female now. Usually it favors the lady from my experience. And then she remarries and all your hard work goes to somebody else. I think that's a perfect illustration of what this passage is describing. So basically, be chaste. You know, our society is wrong. Sex is not okay. Promiscuity is not okay. It's sin. God condemns it. And here, he's telling us, don't go near that adulterous house, that woman's house because you're going to lose what you've worked for. The next slide, 23, 20 to 21, tells us another category of people that we need to avoid so we don't lose our money. Do not be with heavy drinkers of wine or with gluttonous eaters of meat, for the heavy drinker and the glutton will come to poverty, and drowsiness will clothe the man with rags. If you're hanging out with drunks, it's a bad, bad deal because you're probably going to be tempted to do what they do. I caught on the, uh, on the TV, I guess it was the early part of this week, it was a program called Britain's Heaviest Man, a 850-pound man. And it was a TV show about this guy. And he was huge, gargantuan, monstrous, disgusting, laying in a bed. He couldn't get out of the bed. They had to get a crane in there to get him up, a special thing. He couldn't stand at all. I think he qualifies as a gluttonous guy. He ate 10,000 calories a day. And this was the story about how this whole medical team, all on welfare, eliminated his stomach, you know, took out so much of his stomach he couldn't eat, and he lost a whole bunch of weight, and that was the conclusion of the movie. But the point being, you don't want to hang out with people like that, because even if they're eating 10,000 and you're only eating 5,000, you're probably going to gain weight. Larry, you probably know what you're supposed to eat. I don't, but uh, it's probably obvious. But the, the, uh, the idea being, my wife takes good care of me there too, by the way. That's her, that's her strength. But don't hang out with adulterous women. Don't hang out with, with drunks. Don't hang out with gluttons, because it's going to cost you something. The next slide is the fifth point of how to lose your money. Extravagance. There is precious treasure and oil in the dwelling of the wise, but a foolish man swallows it up. Have you found honey? Eat only what you need, lest you have it in excess and vomit it. In other words, you don't eat all the honey in the bottle. You don't, you know, you don't sit down and eat the whole cheesecake. It takes a lot of sacrifice to do that, or not do that. The point being that you don't want to be extravagant. You know, you don't, don't need to spend everything you got all the time so that you have something that's, that's nicer or better than what you need. The next slide is the... The, one of the ones that has more uh, coverage than many of the others. It's called surety. That's one of the most prominent words of financial warning, and that's becoming sure. That's co-signing, co-signing a debt. Now, I want to preview this, but I don't think this refers to family members. I think this is talking about strangers. Now, you might have somebody in your family that you wouldn't co-sign for. That's an exception. But generally speaking, you know, if your son comes up and says, hey, will you help me? Uh, sign a note so I can get a car, go to school, or, you know, something to that nature. I don't think it's referring to that because it specifies to a stranger, to a neighbor, somebody who is not part of your family. Six, one to five is up there. 
If you have put up security for your neighbor, if you have struck hands and pledged for another, if you have been trapped by what you said, ensnared by the words of your mouth, notice how they're describing this signing, co-signing, ensnared by the words of your mouth, then do this, my son, to free yourself, since you have fallen into your neighbor's hands. Go and humble yourself. Press your plea with your neighbor. Notice the exclamation mark after that sentence. That's because it's intense in the Hebrew. It's, hey, do this. You've got to get out of that arrangement. Break your contract. Or not break it, but get out of it. Allow no sleep to your eyes, no slumber to your eyelids. Free yourself like a gazelle from the hand of the hunter. Pardon me. Like a bird from the snare of the fowler. He's trying to say it as, as sternly, as emphatically as he can. Don't sign. Don't co-sign a note for a stranger or a neighbor. Next slide repeats that. A man lacking in sense pledges and becomes surety in the presence of his neighbor. Do not be among those who give pledges, among those who become sureties for debts. If you have nothing which, with which to pay, why should he take your bed from under you? Again, an emphatic statement about don't cosign. Don't become surety for someone else. That's a good way to lose your money. If you want to give somebody the money, that's a whole good deal. Just give it to them. But don't cosign because it's a good way to end up broke. And then that brings us to our summary of pursuing poverty. Laziness, greed, impetuousness, wrong associations, extravagance, and surety. Six ways to blow it. Now, personally, what I would like to reflect on it at this point is the first one in there, laziness. I think, as sometimes being lazy, maybe most of the time, I want to do as little as I can to get by with what I got. But I think God has designed us to work. Genesis chapter 2, verses 15 tells us that he placed the man before the fall in the garden to work and keep it. I think that is where we gain our true fulfillment as people. When I work, I am fulfilled and, fulfill and doing what God has created me to do. I think that's the opposite of laziness. Laziness, I think I'm going to feel good because I kick back and eat bonbons and watch a football game which may not have anything wrong with that in and of itself. But if that's what I do all the time because I don't want to work, I think I'm not achieving the fulfillment that I want to get. That's a deceptive way from Satan to fulfill what God intended us to pursue was work. You work, you get fulfilled. You have a blessing. You have a sense of, of meaning as you work. <coughs> And uh, that is a summary of pursuing uh, poverty. The next slide is, again, trying to keep my P, uh, P thing going. Pool of ponderings. Summary of principles, I think, from, scripture, uh, from Proverbs to uh, summarize what God's view on uh, money is. Some of these will be repeat repetitions of the introduction of our perspective, but they reflect the principles that are... Uh, listed on the board. Uh, this is not a blackboard, but I keep calling it that. I'm sorry, I'm very aware of it. Money should not be gained at the expense of truth. 2017, bread obtained by falsehood is sweet to a man, but afterward his mouth will be filled with gravel. The getting of treasures by a lying tongue is a fleeting vapor, the pursuit of death. <coughs> when you forfeit truth, it's going to cost you. 
Some of you have heard my testimony. I worked uh, for a mafia chop shop where we stole, took stolen Corvettes, changed numbers, and shipped them to Florida. That's, I got saved in it. I went back a year after I got saved, and that shop was completely gone, shut down, and no longer in business. It was destitute. And that's what I thought of when I, when I was preparing these, this message and these, outline, this, uh, these passages. You know, it doesn't last. It might seem good for a little bit, but you're going to pay the price. It's, it's something that will come back to haunt you or to bite you. You can't, you shouldn't gain money at the expense of truth. Uh, number two, the next slide is money should not be gained at the expense of justice. It's better as a poor man who walks in in his integrity than great income with injustice. Wealth obtained by fraud dwindles away, but he who gathers money little by little makes it grow. Justice is a principle that we should not stray from. I'm a terrible car salesman. I can't sell a car to save me because I, I know everything that's wrong with it, and I feel like I've got to tell the person, and that's not a way to sell cars. When you go to a used car lot, every car is the best thing on the planet. You know that, and that's why they want you to believe that, so they'll sell it to you. But I think they're going to pay the price because I think they way distort justice, or truth for that matter. Number three, money should not be gained at the expense of others. Do not rob the poor because he is poor or crush the afflicted at the gate. He who robs his father or mother and says it's not a transgression is the companion of the man who destroys. He who increases his wealth by interest and usury gathers it for him who is gracious to the poor. Well, I don't know about that bottom one there, 28.8, as it refers to bankers, but you know, I'll let them worry about that. But the idea is you don't take advantage of people. You don't, you don't uh, move in on a good situation and uh, con them out of it. Again, in the automotive world, you know, a lot of times you come across some little old lady or some guy that has a car and they have no idea what it's worth. So, hey, I can buy this cheap, and then I'll flip it and make five grand. I think that's dishonest. I think that's wrong. If somebody's got something that's worthwhile, I want to tell them, hey, you don't. In fact, you know, that happened just yesterday at the Pumpkins in the Park. A guy had a Model T Ford for sale, and he was asking $7,000 for it. I told him, you really need to think through that, because go on, the, on TV and watch some of these car chasers or some of these shows fast and loud, where these guys are buying these cars for seven grand and flipping them for 15. I told him, you should ask 14, 14, five for this thing, and then you'll get what it's worth, because somebody will buy this car, take the body off, put a new chassis under it, and sell it for $25,000 or whatever. But Taking advantage of people, I think, is wrong. You should not gain your wealth at the expense of others. Next slide. Money should not be gained at the expense of righteousness. Again, ill-gotten gains do not profit. Righteousness delivers from death. The wicked earns deceptive wages, but he who sows righteousness gets a true reward. You don't want to forfeit your character to make your money. God is in the business of providing for you. Remember, what Jesus said, seek first the righteousness of God, God's righteousness, and his kingdom, and all these life's necessities will be added unto you. You don't want to forfeit righteousness. God will provide for you. Be upright and straightforward in your dealings. The next slide. Money should not be acquired at the expense of biblical priorities. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> When the pursuit of money takes a toll on our home life, we have violated biblical priorities. 
Priorities should not be laid aside or rearranged in the making of money. 1517, better a meal of vegetables where there is love than a fattened ox where there is hatred. Better a dry crust of bread where there is quietness than a house full of feasting with strife. If you're forfeiting your family to make your money, it's not worth it. It's going to cost you. You don't want to give up your biblical priorities to make your income. And again, sometimes you look at that and you say, how can I do that? I've got, I've got to give up something. Well, I would suggest that that's when you've got to start praying and trusting God because the biblical priorities are his directions for our life. Justice, righteousness, all those things we've looked at are God's direction, so he will come through for us. Don't give up the biblical priorities. And then the next slide is our second New Testament reference. What we have been given is for the good of others. God, through Timothy, or through Paul to Timothy, tells us to instruct them, that is the wealthy, to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of, what, of that which is life indeed. Again, uh, I know several of you have lived by this, particularly in our, my wife and I's personal experience, and I thank you again for that. But this is the way God says we should live. You make money, and you bless others with what he's blessed you with. That brings us to the slide you've all been waiting for. Takeouts, the end. This is what I think God's black and white description about finances how it can be summarized. Proverbs teaches us that while we must plan to work in order to obtain wealth, it is God who ultimately prospers us. Again, this shows up in my trade when I paint. I pray when I paint, usually before I paint, not actually while I'm painting because I like to see what I'm doing. But I, many times, you know, you, you're trying to get the job done. You, I've cut corners and the paint might as well just run on the floor. Other times, it seems that I can't do anything wrong. Everything clicks. And I think that's because God's blessing me. And I attribute that to God because God is the one who makes me successful as I do my, my work. And that's the same for you. That's what he promises. God who ultimately prospers us. Wealth is a gift which God has given some. And I think he's designed money to be a test of our faith. When you think about the Old Testament and what the law required of the Israelites, God's elect of the previous covenant, you know, they couldn't work seven days a week. They had to take Sundays or Saturdays off. And if you're a working man, particularly if you're a driven working man, to sit there and watch your weeds grow in your field while you sit there and read out of a hymnal or whatever they did, read the Torah, that would drive you crazy. Don't work on the seventh day here. Saturday. He also said every seven years, let the fields go fallow. You don't grow nothing. So that means you've got to tell all of your uh, creditors, I can't pay you nothing this year. I'm going to have to wait till next year to do that. It takes a lot of faith. Every 50 years, you had to give up all your debts. If you owed me $100, 50 years come along, sorry, you don't owe it to me anymore. I think, and there's a lot of other details in there. There's like a 33% tithe they were supposed to give to the church. That's all an expression of faithful living in the Old Testament. 
required or you were cast out of Israel. It's not an option. Today, God just says, seek first the righteousness of the kingdom of God and all your needs will be added unto you. That's our testing of faith. How do we deal with the needy that we know, with the ministries that we support that need our funds? How do we deal with money? That's a test of our faith, just like it was in those of the Israelites in the Old Covenant. So I think that as we approach money, making it and losing it, we want to uh, reflect on God's direction book to, to uh, plan, work hard, don't cheat, and trust God. So would you pray with me as we close? Father, we do thank you that you have given us such clear directions on finances. Thank you that you've blessed us with the comfort that we have in this country and of our own personal lives. And Lord, I pray that you might increase our faith as we seek to obey you and to honor you and fear you. Lord, we pray that we might uh, be faithful stewards of your blessings. And I pray that you'll draw each of us close to you as we've looked at your word this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You are dismissed.